Hello and welcome to The 250, your podcast that sometimes looks at movies on the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. This week, we are continuing one of our most in-demand, popular, and recognized miniseries, which is once every 78 episodes, we are looking at a nominee for Best Picture from 1990 with two fantastic guests. But before I introduce them, I'm going to introduce my co-host, the wonderful Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? I, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm relieved. I, I, I was confused, but, but now, now I understand. <laughs> now this, the concept has been explained. Yeah. yeah. This is our, our, I was going to ask, I was going to be my first question what, what are we doing why are we doing this <laughs> yes it is, it is our 356th episode spectacular everybody says 350 is the one you got to aim for but it, it's actually 356 is the special one we have and joining us everybody says 350 every everybody says 350 everybody does but joining us are two spectacular guests who joined us talking about martin scorsese goodfellas on our 200th episode Joining us for Francis Ford Coppola's The Godfather Part 3 for our 278th episode. And now joining us for our 356th episode discussing Jerry Zucker's ghost. First of all, the fantastic Jen Gannon. How are you, Jen? Hello. How are you? Not joining you from the beyond. Joining you from real life. (laughs) Still here. In in a big space in the loft above our recording studio that we've just expanded into. Magically. uh, In a clumsy visual metaphor. (laughs) New York property prices. We will talk about that, I'm sure. And also the fantastic Jason Coyle. How are you, Jay? Good. I see you're, you've already begun. The weekend has begun for weekend Jay. began two hours ago, Darren. Let's let's not, let's not get into it right yet. <laughs> there's, no, there's no need to talk about it. Uh, okay. So just yeah. before we jump in, I want to ask Jen. Do you remember the first time you saw Ghost? Um. The the thing is, I never actually needed to see Ghost in one way because when we were in primary school. It was like everybody had seen Ghost because one girl had seen Ghost and she literally would have everybody sitting around at lunchtime and tell them the complete plot of Ghost and everything that basically (laughs) happened and broke it down in detail for all of us. So I kind of never needed to watch it because we all knew it then. And like she used to sing the I'm Henry the Eighth I Am bit a a lot as well during (laughs) lunchtime. Um, Said that's not irritating. Not irritating at all. I wonder is is that still a thing? Because I, I remember there there was because like, because of how kind of available everything is now. Did I I remember in school there was a child who who knew every kind of word to jingle all the way and would regularly like have a thing of of talking through the entire plot. Um, and, na- and like it was, and it was like an oral tradition. Cinema as an oral tradition. That, that's what you, a, a lot of young actors had that habit as well. I think it was it Al Pacino would do uh, tell uh, the plot of movies to his grandmother or something like yeah, that. Or was it Robert De Niro? I think it was Pacino. And then Christopher Nolan, because he split his summers over in the states, would fly back to London and would narrate the plot of movies that had yet to come out to the kids gathered round as an oral tradition. But yeah, I do like ghost stories as a tradition. But Jen, when you actually saw it, did it live up to your expectations? Did it match that version that you had created in your head from the playground? I mean, I probably already had encountered clips of it from like going around to my cousin's house and like they were older than us. And so they, well, they were older than me and they would like, Going around to their house was always like, you'd watch Top Gun. I first saw Top Gun in their house. I first saw Dirty Dancing in their house. Much consternation over that. That story for a later 
time in this podcast, I'm sure will come out. And yeah, I'm sure I saw bits of ghost in their house as well. I was probably then sent home or had to go home because my mom was looking for me. But then when I finally did see it, it was like, you're just matching up those bits. So you always knew like the, the pottery scene. Um, I knew the ditto bit. I knew, um, obviously, like I knew Whoopi Goldberg. The train ghost. 100%. Yeah. Like I just knew her character already in it because she was the one. Um, so yeah, when I, when I saw it, it probably was a, a bit of a weird anticlimax then because I was like, oh, this is what it's about. Like, But I remember being like totally wowed at the time by the special effects which is (laughs) that train scene blew my mind blew my tiny mind when I was about eight or nine so yeah um look at well like this is the first time like re-watching it uh was the first time I'd seen it in years I would say in like oh my god I 20 years maybe it's crazy it's been a very long time since I've seen it and you made me watch Ghost when I am hormonally unable to watch Ghost. So I was living on the edge last night when I was watching it again. So yeah, it's your, it's your fault. Your fault. It's all my fault. I, I am sorry. Um, <laughs> um, a movie that does open with two with a shirtless Patrick Swayze and a shirtless Tony Goldwyn. Um, all right. So Jay, what about yourself? Do you remember the first time you saw Because I think you mentioned you saw Goodfellas in cinemas. I think you mentioned that you saw Godfather 3. I don't like, this is the 90s kind of uh <laughs> blank slate that have, can tend to happen if you're of an age where you go what when the hell did I see this um, <laughs> I know I don't think I saw it when it came out and for very specific reasons I think because I was a bit of a lad and it didn't look like a lad's film in a stupid bastard way that you have when you're younger and you wish you knew better <laughs> I wish you could go back and slap yourself upside the head when you're older um, so I probably I, I kind of probably missed it for a few years then and then watched it at some point in the 90s Um Maybe, maybe if your older self slapped your younger self in the head, then your younger self would just be more emboldened. And, <laughs> and you'd never become... I, I really uh, hope that wouldn't be the case, but you can't, it certainly can't be ruled yeah. out. Uh, but, uh, I, I, I got to in the 90s in the way I, I started to catch up on a lot of stuff I'd missed. And similar to Jen, I haven't seen it since I've watched it then. Um, it's one of those films that just hung around in the background for ever almost kind of like reduced to Saturday Night Live skits and various other little bits of pop culture that's just Naked Gun exist. 2 yeah, and yeah, a half exactly. sequence but yes. the fact that like <laughs> yeah like that you know Jerry Zucker this <laughs> anyway kind of cannibalize his own uh, thing is just bizarre but uh, yeah so there's that kind of thing where it just exists in a kind of everybody's seen it nobody has to see it again type of film which is really odd um, so it was kind of interesting to watch it last night and go oh yeah right this is a lot more film than I was expecting uh, but we get to that <laughs> <laughs> we will indeed. I mean, it is worth noting this was the highest grossing film of 1990 at the domestic box office. It outgrossed Pretty Woman. Internationally, I believe it was outgrossed by Home Alone. Um, it was, we'll was talk that about... also nominated for Best Picture? Uh, let <laughs> me check my those. notes here on this one. <laughs> okay, um, sorry. Yeah. I guess we'll find out. <laughs> yeah. no, no, Andrew, it was, it was not nominated for Best I was not seriously checking my notes. But, Andrew... We, over I, the past couple of months, we've been covering the Halloween movies. You've never watched any of those. I'm gonna throw a ball here. Have you? I seen had those? watched Halloween, yeah, but none uh, of the sequels. but none of the sequels. Yeah, had I seen this? Yes, I had, and I'm gonna guess that I saw it in my uh, babysitter's house in uh, Moy Heights in uh, Ballina in about like 1994. 
four or so because she had a collection of vhs cassettes i don't know if they were recorded no i don't think they were recorded off the telly i think she had bought them where it was all babes where they there was like every tom cruise movie or every like she'd really like mel gibson as well so like it worked for us because we got to see like top gun and braveheart uh, i'm guessing or lethal yeah. weapon well, lethal weapon we watched lethal weapon yeah we we wa- i think we watched uh like all of the lethal weapons that had been out i that. think lethal weapon was a uh, kind of you had to have it in your household in the 90s or the 80s like you had like uh, it was given like david gray's the white ladder white ladder uh, <laughs> it, was given out to him. Yeah. <laughs> it was just issued <laughs> with your senses yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Some starter pack for culture. I imagine this was in the the collection of Funk's movies. Although I think a lot of them were action, in fairness. But I'm I'm guessing that that that's that where this I kind this. of yeah, yeah. And and for me, this is I think the first of the best picture nominees from 1990 that I watched. I watched this before I watched Goodfellas. I watched this before I watched Godfather Part Three. I watched it before I watched Dance of the Wolves. And I have never seen Awakenings for my oh. sins. Oh. Um, Really? You haven't? That's very interesting, Darren. I have many stories to tell about that one. We'll discuss that in a year and a half. Oh, God. Yes, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, very, very quickly, just in terms of production history for Ghosts. It is directed by Jerry Zucker, who is one third of the Zucker-Abram-Zucker trilogy. The three guys who are obviously responsible for Airplane, Top Secret, and Ruthless People. Ruthless People is the movie that everybody forgets. Massively commercially successful, massively critically successful. The three guys involved were like, no, we're never doing that again. Such an unpleasant experience directing somebody else's scripts. They all branched off and they went their separate ways. David Zucker went off and he did the Police Squad movies. Uh, You had basically Abrams went off and he did the Hot Shots movies. Um, and oh, then, excellent. Yeah. And then Jerry Zucker took a bit of a swerve and like sat down with the head of Paramount and was like, so you got any good scripts then? And they're like, well, we have this kind of sexy ghost movie. And Zucker was like, this is exactly where I want to take my career, building off those three movies that we did. And there's actually a wonderful story from um, the writer, who's Bruce Rubin, who said basically... I wanted Milos Forman or Stanley Kubrick to direct my movie, <laughs> said Bruce Rubin. When I was told the guy so who did, made Airplane so was going to direct Ghost. Schiavetti, or what? What's his name? He was also like, Milos Forman again on this one? <laughs> Sorry. Um, when I was told the guy who made Airplane was going to direct Ghost, I cried. Then I met him. He said he wanted to make changes in the script. He wanted to change my baby. It was very, very distressing. Um, but apparently they they had dinner together. It worked out very well. Uh, Ruben was very involved uh, in the production of the movie. Um, he was very involved in kind of he was on set and consulting on it. And yeah, it, it went on and became a massive, massive hit. It was the big surprise when they announced the Best Picture nominees in 1990. According to the Los Angeles Times, there were audible gasps in the room when it picked up a Best Picture nomination. Notably, the 1990 Academy Awards Famously, a very split ballot between Best Director and Best Picture, where obviously Scorsese, Costner and Coppola both got Director and Picture. However, Penny Marshall uh, did not get a nomination for Awakenings. I'm shocked. Yeah, I, at that stage, only one woman had been nominated for Best Director in the entire history of the institution. Um and Zucker did not get, probably less shockingly, Zucker did no, not get a nomination fair. for directing Ghost, which is probably... Did Gary Marshall get one? That is I was just going to say that because like it feels weird that Ghost got a nomination and Pretty Woman didn't. Uh, 
Pretty Woman, according to the, again, the LA Times, there were shocks when uh, Julia Roberts got a Best Actress. What? She showed up. Won it. Yeah, I, no, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there were, apparently it was, again, because this was the Academy in, coming off the 1980s, it was in its stage where, do we want to nominate popular films? And, you know, we're a couple of years away from, like, science. They should have a popular film. Oscar. Category. And yeah, they should, they should really Best have Popular Actor. That's a great actor. idea. <laughs> best <laughs> Popular Actor. I mean, what if they have, like, a fan's favourite moment poll as well that they can <laughs> yeah. vote on online? Best Kiss for fuck's sake where's best kiss steal it directly from mtv <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, all right we're just on a bit of a kind of a time crunch here i think one of other guests has a hard out so i'm just going to jump right into the three questions to get us started so jay yes do you think that ghost jerry zucker's 1990 romantic paranormal thriller comedy belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made. Like we say every time we ask this bloody question at every <laughs> podcast they ever do, in the sense that it's better than a lot of the movies that are on it, <laughs> I would say yes. Would it be on it if I was picking off movies? Maybe not. But it it's a solid, solid uh, film. Good in... Like, I'll get into the specifics of it. Like, there's... It, like, if... <laughs> Depends on which, like, if you don't like this part, there's, um, there's another genre coming around the corner just to, uh, to, to <laughs> really entertain us. There's a lot here. Like, there's a huge amount in it, which is quite remarkable in lots of ways. So, like, it swings for it. Like, it, it, does, it absolutely commits to what it does or to several things it does. Um, so, does it belong? Again, uh, yeah, why not? I mean, it's, it, I could, I could knock 50 off and put it on it uh, ahead of it, but then there's probably 50 more I put it ahead of it. So, I don't know. I, that, that's a terrible answer. Uh, I just got to just leave it at that. I've nothing else to say. Um, maybe. It's a maybe. The, it's better than the help answer. Um, it is better than the help uh, for, for them, sure. Uh, and Jen, what about yourself? Do you think this belongs on the list of the 250 greatest movies ever made? Uh, I'm, I'm kind of, yes, I'm, I'm in a, a, a J space in that way as well, because I do, I have a weird affection for this film. I like seeing it again. I just I remember like my mom doesn't generally like anything that's romantic really she likes murders she likes a good murder um she likes a graphic murder <laughs> um but <laughs> when ghost I remember when ghost came out and when she went to see ghost um she said it was beautiful and she never says things like that um which is bizarre it was very weird for me but like to even hear her say that so I do have a weird kind of an emotional connection to it. I do think it's absolutely batshit. And I forgot how batshit it was <laughs> until I started watching it. Layers of madness in it. But um, I would watch Ghost any day over like a Marvel film or over like Lord of the Rings. Or Reach. I mean, I really would. Um, I think they really don't make them like that anymore. And there's probably a reason why in some ways they don't make them like that anymore. But it kind of defies criticism in another way it, it's something that it became so big because people deeply responded to it on a, on a weird level like um and i think that has to be respected and i think with the extra added patrick swayze-ness of it um it definitely deserves to be there for me anyway for sure i mean it's it's worth noting the biggest movie of the year it's impossible to imagine today a film like this being the biggest movie of the year with no qualifications no little asterisks next to it not the biggest original screenplay it's it's this was a movie everybody saw and everybody engaged with which is incredible it's so bizarre to me because i always think of 
the movies of 1990 being like Pretty Woman and Goodfellas. And like Pretty Woman is just the culture of like, that's when I think, when I think of 1990, I just hear Pretty Woman and I see Julia Roberts. And um, it's weird to me that Ghost was actually bigger than that. I would never have assumed that in my head. But now, yeah, I un- I, I kind of understand that it would reach a broader number of people than even Pretty Woman would. Yeah, I mean, like, to give an example, like, the past, the previous couple of years, the most, the biggest films have been, like, Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Batman, you know? Like, there there was, this was a thing that made Hollywood take its breath and go, do we want to go all in on blockbusters? Do we want to go all in on just making these big, expensive films that are potentially risky? Or do we want to make a bunch of medium budget films that are all different from one another, maybe attract a female audience as well? With 1950s and- rock and roll soundtracks. <laughs> In the late 80s, yes, but like in the late the 80s, they loved, they revered the 50s so much. Like if you look at mm. those, the Levi's yeah. ads where they're like Marvin Gaye and everything like that. And then we used to collect them on singles, <laughs> the Levi's ads. Like, yeah, tragically. Dirty Dancing, Pretty Woman. Like it was back that harkening back to like yeah. America, rah, rah, rah. And they were in that phase anyway in the 80s. So it just kind of melded all into one where they were like, hey, maybe it was better back in them days. But like it was such I mean, a weird time like that culturally where they were just mad about the 1950s. Let's yeah. just run through very quickly from like 1979 through to say 1995, the biggest movie of the year. So 1979, it's Superman. 1980, it's The Empire Strikes Back. 81, Superman 2. 82, E.T. 83, Return of the Jedi. 84, Ghostbusters. 85, Back to the Future. 86, Top Gun. 87, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Our Man Tony Scott. 88, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. 89, Batman. 90, Ghost. 91, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. 92, Batman Returns. 93, Jurassic Park. 94, The Lion King. 95, Batman. Batman Forever. So it's not actually that different than now. It, in, it, but it, it, it is different in a sense that occasionally <laughs> you you yeah. you have like non-comic book movies or yeah. like there, there is maybe non-franchi- one big exception. Yeah. There is maybe like, like on that list I just rhymed a couple. Through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I do also think there's greater diversity in the top ten as well. But it's like it's insane to think this was the movie of the year and as jen said it's a movie that has arguably a memory hold in a way that i don't think like pretty woman has i think jay and yourself had not watched this in decades i had not watched this in decades yeah even though i was kind of indelibly aware of it but andrew do you think this belongs in the list of the 250 greatest movies ever made i think you have to allow that that pantheon will include movies that have not yet been made but but do you think that this is with the top 250 movies that will ever be made but aliens like 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 will Steven movies say, get worse standing back over human on. history um no uh no, I'm I'm going to I'm 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 going to say probably no even though like the it's 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 a movie that's so beloved and I think across kind of generations um it had a big surge in the early pandemic apparently apparently it was one of really? the most viewed movies in early lockdown which was is it? interesting yeah apparently according to Zucker people now, wanted and- to buy the Potter's wheel and get busy with it again that's what it was <laughs> people were like buying stuff right. making bread all of that shit. And they were like, yeah, we could do this. We could recreate this. It's time. It's time. We have the time. I mean, like, not to not to make too heavy a is Ghost a Pandemic movie, but it is about being stuck in a liminal space between definite states of being. That bloody lift as well. That lift joke hits different, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. And, uh, it was uh, like, what? Uh, what? I was freaking out watching it. It's like, shut the fuck up so easy. And golden, you prick. 
one of the few things that went went down in price was handmade pottery um, <laughs> during, during the pandemic. Well, that's because so many people were buying, as Jen said, yeah. potter's wheels. Like, obviously, the, ma- the market was saturated. It was glut. Yeah. yeah. Um, and for myself, I think probably no, but also I would not object to it being there. It passes sure. the help smell test uh, in that it's like, is it better than the help? <laughs> yes, yes, it is. I also think that, like, the list could do with being more diverse in terms of genre. And I think... As Jay said, this is a lot of movie, but it is a lot of movie of the kind that isn't really featured on the list. You know, Mm. it's a very sensual movie. It's a very spiritual movie. It's a very romantic movie. It's a side of American filmmaking that isn't represented on the list a great deal. Now, whether or not that should take priority over other kinds of filmmaking that aren't put on the list, I don't know. But I do think that, you know, you could conceivably make an argument for it. And I do think that it's also a cultural marker of its moment in a way that I am sure we will get into. Andrew is writing end of history down on a piece of paper and putting it into an envelope as we speak. Just as a point, to put, as you said there, Darren, when I was, I was watching it last night and when I finished, I, I was having a, the end of a whiskey and I said to myself, in the most grandiose, I'm going to remember this today, but I didn't until now, I'm going to call it the sixth sensual. Because <laughs> you stretch it. Sensual. Nice. Yes. Yeah, there nice. There you I go. Like nice. Yes. Uh, and Jay... Would this be on your own personal 250, your own 250 favorite movies? This is weird. It probably wouldn't, but it's one I could see myself, weirdly enough, at relatively soon going back and watching again because had had an odd effect on me in that I, it, I, it's similar to what we were talking about. I don't really believe it exists in a lot of ways. It's, it's, it's a strange, strange movie. And I'm actually, as I got older, get much more attracted to oddball swing for the fences than I am to the generic kind of stuff that kind of gets turned out so I can see myself A picking this up a Blu-ray or something at some point and digging into special features that's kind of weird I'd want to see how this is made because yeah <laughs> no <laughs> you're right like, I it, do it, too it's very odd and like we get into it properly when we get into it but it's just it's something that I, I was kind of really kind of fascinated by and it's like it's the only way to think of it I just couldn't if it, if it was an hour longer I'd be, I'd be happily still watching another hour of it you know what I mean it's just a weird, weird hold of me uh, that I wasn't expecting. <laughs> if you want to talk about how it's made, it began with an LSD trip in 1965. I am not shocked by that in any way. I'm not surprised at all. As all good films start with. <laughs> it's, it's ghost and apocalypse now. <laughs> I actually love the detail of this. With where... Sharon Walter Murch as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They do. Uh, Walter Murch, who also edited uh, Godfather Part 3 yes. of the nominees. Oh my God. I mean, there is actually, there's an actor who overlaps as well, but I'm sure we'll get into that in the spoiler zone. But like, there is like, so apparently Ruben's roommate who knew Timothy Leary had given him a tablet of LSD that he secreted away for the right time to take. So when that moment finally arrived, nothing happened. However, a visitor to the apartment had also just stowed a vial of pure Sandoz acid in Ruben's refrigerator. My roommate went to give me one drop, says Ruben. He went, oops, and the entire eyedropper went shooting down my throat. I began a journey that has never ended. Apparently, <laughs> after that, he took a trip. <laughs> he basically went to Asia to go find himself. He spent like the next five, ten years bumming around Eastern Asia. Probably still um, tripping act- his balls off for like five, <laughs> ten years. Like, the man's having the best time ever. <laughs> Well, you know, I envy his 70s. Yeah. He actually went to Any Asia. day now, it'll wear off any day now. Yeah. Well, you know that he co- he wrote Jacob's Ladder. That, that, that also thing. doesn't surprise me because that's a yeah. trip gone bad, girl. That yes, is, is a trip yes, gone it is. bad. It's a total Jacob's Ladder situation. Yeah. Um, 
All right. And then, so Jen, what about yourself? Would this be on your own personal 250, your own 250 favorite? Um, well, see, it caught me at a very precarious time because I have range in PMT. I'm due my period. And this film got me in the hormones last night so badly. I cried my head off watching this. And it's never, I've never cried at Ghost before. I cried a lot of films, I have to say. But like, I genuinely bald at the end of this film. I was like, I, I hate you guys for making me do this. I'm sorry. So it has <laughs> had we a done weirder awakenings. effect on me oh, God, than I thought it would have. I really didn't think, I did not expect that to happen. Um, so I, I I was like, do I have a sneaking affection for Ghost? I was like, maybe I do. Um, I mean, I love, like, I don't know. I just, I think it deserves to be in my 250 in a way just for Whoopi Goldberg. Right. For that alone, for that performance alone, it deserves a place. And also for making me feel feelings, it deserves a place, I suppose. Like, it just, yeah, it's, it's and it's such an odd film. It's such, um, it, it's a weird melodrama. And like, you don't really get melodrama anymore, really. Like, that is so successful. Like, as in, like, something that is box office like melodrama that like your mom is going to see, but also you would go on a date to see, but also, you know, your little cousin wants to see it as well. It, it like, it's so weirdly intergenerational. Um, I don't know. It just has this mad effect that like, yeah, it's very strange. Maybe it's the LSD, but uh, <laughs> I, I, maybe it would be somewhere in my 250. Yeah. But like that could change tomorrow. But uh, right now I, it'd sneak in there probably. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about this when we get into this war zone, but it is, there's an incredible sincerity to this movie, which is just like, it was stunning in the 90s and it's even more stunning today. It's a movie that like asks you to take what it is doing seriously, even as, as Jay said, and you said, it does the most batshit stuff, which is incredible in a film. Um, but Andrew, would it be on your own personal 250, your own 250 favourite films? I mean, I I do like movies about financial crime. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Wall Street. No. Um, not to jump into the question, what is Ghost about yeah. for you, Andrew? Um, but, but like, the, it, emotionally, it didn't actually get me. I, 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 I maybe, I, um, I don't know why. Maybe I, I need Were to. Were you have, rooting for I, Carl? Was I that like? To, was that your way in? Like, I need to have an emotionally withholding person in my life that <laughs> that that I want to kind of like get say it. the words "I love you" <laughs> yeah. instead of just ditto. Uh, um, yeah, maybe the the the. But I love I love that your argument is no ghost doesn't resonate with me because I, the person I love is too emotionally available. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, I've been spoiled. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, no, it, 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 I like I enjoyed it, but it probably wouldn't be on my 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 own list. Yeah. And How about for, you? For myself, like on a conscious level, no, in that I, I don't think like I would I haven't watched this in 20 years. I don't know if I'll watch another 20 years. But there's also part of my reptile brain when I was watching it last night where it's like, I remember this scene. I remember this scene. I remember this scene. I remember this line of dialogue. This movie has kind of, I have not watched this in 20 years. And yet, despite forgetting huge tracks of it, including the aforementioned financial crime stuff, that had slipped entirely <laughs> from my memory. But I still was able to remember like images and lines and visuals from the movie in a way that is kind of primal, yeah. which is kind of, it's fascinating when you watch one of those movies. So like my conscious brain is like, no, uh, but my subconscious brain is like, maybe, I don't know. Which is very interesting. I think this is the first time that has happened. Uh, and Jay, if listeners have not seen Ghost, 
would you recommend they pause the podcast and stream it to a local device? Uh, I mean, yeah, like it's well worth watching. I love it. I'd go away to pause. Um, no, fuck it, I would. Actually, just pause it and go, go watch it. It's, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's not really that much of a spoiler. It's the t- not, movie's called I mean, Ghost. You know, the lead character... Get off my train! Yeah, I feel bad. I felt like that That reveal... Sorry, yeah, we oh, won't get into it. Okay. I, 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 I think it's best left unrevealed. Okay, all right. I will bleep I'm that. not sure about modern audiences are used to having that much movie in the first 20 minutes that, like, <laughs> right. in that way. I think, I think imagine it's like... 18 year olds putting this on to wonder what the hell is going on <laughs> it just it's like so we true. made movies like this like what is this hang on what kind of film is this uh so i'm actually really fascinated by that so like you know i, I would watch it uh not that any 18 year olds be listening to what i say about films but and rightly so but they, sh- they probably should because it's it's a bit of a trip like. yeah. our audience demographic has apparently aged with us which is interesting when we started we were big in the 18 to 24 now we're in the 24 to 36 range you're like um, Sinn Féin getting popular in the older crowd, things <laughs> over and over. <laughs> Creeping up the demographics that are we, we, We've dropped some of our controversial policies. You only had to be lucky once, Darren. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> um, but Jen, what about yourself? Do you recommend listeners post the podcast? And all political parties are available, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. All right. I'm sorry, Jen. Let's leave that one alone. Um... I, yeah, no, I think if you haven't watched it in ages, remind yourself of it because I, it exists somewhere in, like you were saying, it's with, it's within your mind anyway. You need to refresh yourself on it. Like, mm. um, and you need to recognize the madness of Ghost. And I, I want to talk to more people about it to go, sorry, am, am I losing my mind that I cried so much at it? Like uh, what's happening to me? Um, if only for that, please do the, do it immediately. But yeah, also like Jay was saying, I'd love to know what, what do the youth think of ghosts? Do they think of ghosts at all? They probably never will think of ghosts. Do they even care about ghosts? I mean, because Dirty Dancing has its own, in the Patrick Swayze, you know, Canon. library, like Dirty Dancing has its own thing for young people, like younger people, like they'll they'll know it anyway. They're interested. They're still into it anyway. But for some reason, I don't think Ghost has that same kind of appeal, maybe. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I, I just think you got to give it a go at least once because you have to you have to see this to believe it basically pretty much well, like that is the poster so many the, levels. Po- <laughs> the poster is literally just the word believe exactly yes and it was everywhere do you remember it was like everywhere that poster was all over the place um yeah and it looked like now when you look at that poster if you see it from far away it looks like a box of jurex yeah like with the two of them with that kind of yeah. with the weird electricity and, yeah, the around them glowing, yeah yeah or ready brick, sexy ready brick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sexy yeah or, or like uh, like headache tablets or something. I don't know. There's something really weird about that. The look of that poster, but it's so memorable. My God, yeah. It's, I I just that's like everywhere. But yeah, sexy ready brick was one of Zucker's notes for Ruben. Apparently, in the <laughs> nineteen drafts they worked on together. Um, but Andrew, what about yourself? Would you recommend listeners pause the podcast and stream it to a local device? Yeah, I think I would. I, I, I think like it would be a very strange world that, that wouldn't have 
Like, as in it would be an episode of Sliders, and they'd finally figure it out, oh, this doesn't have ghost. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so the world is fundamentally different. Fundamentally different, exactly. And I think it's... Nobody's it, pottered since at least yeah, 1989. Exactly. That, um, and yeah, it would be like uh, Cuba, but instead of all the cars being old, it's all the pottery. <laughs> like, um, and it's all stuck together. But yeah, and I think it's TikTokable. Um, like, uh, for Cobble's TikTok, they, they could probably do Righteous Brothers with, like, um, some sort of... Oh, you could, you could a... reenact, you could do TikTok exactly. versions of Ghost. There's a lot I mean, of we're this. only three years after you've lost that love of being a Top Gun, like, you know, the Righteous Brothers are buying. Do you yeah. know what yes. I mean? They're, 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 they're so good, like, the songs are great. Once you but, like, they is already... absolute gold. I've been singing it around the house, Andrew will tell Ghost is already on TikTok because Demi Moore invented the TikTok trend of rolling the jar down the steps to see if it breaks. That that was her? Oh, wow. That was her. I didn't know what that did. I didn't literally know what that to say. In that, that right? film. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I have a no rid here. The jar from the internet. <laughs> no way. That's so funny. <laughs> I thought that was both of our first thoughts. TikTok has corrupted our minds. I, expe- I don't even know TikTok. I just saw it on, the, on Twitter from TikTok. I've I've seen this where, where you see how they do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen different versions of it where you'll compare Premier League teams and you say like, this is, you know, yeah. this is this Man is City. It's how far like, it gets down yeah, the stairs Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Eventually she was smash. the OG. She was it. She was the OG. An absolute trendsetter. Yeah. So we've answered that question. I, I remember looking at my, my dad had the Righteous Brothers and I looked at it and I was like, the Righteous Brothers. Look at these dorks. Righteous. Righteous. They're from Dublin 4. Yeah. And I was like, no, that's Righteous Brothers. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, that put me in my place. <laughs> yeah. um, and for myself, yes, absolutely. I mean, again, it was... I enjoyed this movie a great deal last night. Um, I Again, it's a bonkers movie. I had forgotten how bonkers it is for all that it has imprinted itself on the culture. For all that, like, its scenes are iconic and memorable. I had forgotten just how much movie this is, to quote Jay. So with that in mind, we will segue neatly into the spoiler zone. Oh, my love, my darling. <laughs> yes. Um, but, <laughs> Jen, what is Ghost about for you? Ghost is about a guy will literally have to fucking die before he will say, I love you. I love you. That is basically <laughs> what Ghost is about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the emotional arc. That is the... <laughs> um, it's, like, it's a weirdly spiritual film i will say about like you know that movement between what you've left behind and i guess that general worry of people that when they die not everything in their lives will be settled or that they need to not close accounts because there is some criminal activity going on there with accounts (laughs) but like just that they need the people in their lives to know how much they meant to them and that can happen too late it's also about the way that demi moore can just cry and every either eye one one tear i mean that that is incredible like that is a you make a real star. talent that's what it's about for me and it's also yeah so I, I mean i think it is like 
apart from like the thing about it is the financial stuff in it I, I can even remember back in the day when I first saw it I was real like uh this is like three men and a baby cocaine deal I'm out on this bit and I'd go off into the kitchen and I'd make a cup of tea or whatever and come back for like oh where's the other bits like so it was never I, I never really focused on that enough I always just wanted the the emotional the emotion story so that's I what ghost is about for me <laughs> i like that you say you never focused on it enough as if like it demands more attention and consideration yeah. you never I mean, gave i'm sorry but if i see I, although in fairness watching it this time around ooh, that like amstradi kind of look of those computers and the, the noise of those keyboards that unlocked something inside me i was like oh they were that's delish i love that <laughs> sound and they were gorge yeah. There wasn't a floppy disk. No, there was a Somebody had to, in a manila envelope. The one thing that the movie was missing. <laughs> Although I did, I did love the little notepad, little things that he opened up for the Tiniest coats. Tiniest notepad. They're just like I amazing. Mean- <laughs> like, how fucking quaint is that? Like, it's like the like, your 20s or something. It was I mean, bizarre. like, yeah. We will like one of the things I really like about the movie is how well it's structured just as a whodunit, which it doesn't need to be. Nobody cares about the mystery. You know, yeah. you- Nobody cares about the mystery, but I love how careful it is. And it shows you that the account number is in his wallet. Then it shows you the guy trying to take his wallet. Then, you know, you get the whole, oh, what are you doing tonight? Where are you going to be tonight? That sort of stuff. And you get him trying to take the shoebox. And it's like, this is a lot of shoe leather. You guys are worried that I'm not going to figure out that the one other actor in this movie is the bad guy. I appreciate the effort you're putting in to do but that. But then maybe it's made for when they're thinking like maybe it's made for dates and you might be a bit distracted or nervous or in your own thoughts and you might miss the the glaringly obvious <laughs> what plots they're trying to point you to. Yeah, it gives you something to talk about afterwards, I suppose, between yourselves. But like, I just, yeah, I think... It's a lot more, um, like, there is three million different plots to it, really. It's like three different films kind of sandwiched into one, um, which is enjoyable in its own way, I suppose, <laughs> I, I guess. But it isn't, for me, it's like, until Whoopi Goldberg actually gets into the film, that's when it takes off properly. Oh, like, it's a jolt, an absolute jolt to the film. Like, and it yeah. eats at that point. There's about 10 minutes before where it just starts to tread water. And then she arrives and it's like bang up a level straight away. Like it's amazing. Yeah. But, oh, are you frozen? I think, I think Jay's been, been freezing a little bit. Ah, sure. Story of my life. But yeah, it's like, it's a, ma- it's, it's a Got weird. caught in a door. <laughs> <laughs> Roll a penny. It can happen. <laughs> I didn't get a penny. <laughs> but like to, to the financial stuff, what I find, like if I were making an argument for that, I think what's interesting, you could argue that this is a movie about the end of the 80s and the arrival of the 90s, where like it very clearly opens in the mold of something like Wall Street. It's this idea of greed is good. It's a very materialist world. They walk into the the place, they're walking Wall Street, they see the Ferrari. It's like, you got you still got to pay off your Mustang. You've got all this kind of like trading. The Japanese are there, which is one of those great American uh, anxieties. about to burst. He said. Oh yeah, yeah, a few years from Rising Sun. Yeah, that's it. Like, yeah. and Die Hard. Yeah, and yeah. Like Robocop that, Tree. Sony. Yeah. <laughs> Obligatory Robocop. <laughs> Obligatory Robocop. But like, it's, it's, the- but it's also like that thing about New York as well, though. It's also about like it's in between the era of Fear City and the in between that era yeah. of Fear City to Zero Tolerance. It's like slap bang in yeah. the middle. So yeah. it is Nighttime about that. Ang- still looks like mid eighties New York, like yeah, yeah. But it's about that anxiety of like New York is uh, still the main streets. Like so, even though we're rich yuppies and we have a massive apartment, and you know we could still yep. get 
bumped off in the middle of the street. And you, and you can feel Giuliani's breath on your neck, which is a horrible injury. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yeah, I felt the same way. <laughs> you're you're very tactile when it comes yeah, to movies. Yeah, I have like, I, a, I have a like an aversion to yeah. Like, yeah, where it's all the kind of um, where Whoopi Goldberg is like I I guess touching her in um, when Patrick Swayze is is in her body. Yeah, not not to not to get too derailed into that. But while I was looking at like material for this and looking at contemporary coverage, I did find find myself smiling at Roger Ebert Ally writing in his 1990 review. The movie's single best scene, one that does touch the poignancy of human belief in life after death, comes when Swayze is able to take over Goldberg's body, to use her physical presence as an instrument for caressing the woman that he loves. In strict logic, this should involve us seeing Goldberg kissing more, but of course the movie compromises and shows us Swayze holding her. Too bad, because the logical version would have been much more spiritual and much more moving. I'm like, oh, Roger. I think he's right, though, because like the whole time re-watching it and watching that scene I was like they're ne- they never they never showed that they would never have shown that you know what I mean yeah. but now maybe now in a different and- a different director a different time they might have done it and I think it would have been fucking cool because I mean <laughs> sorry neither woman has ever looked better in any oh, of the yeah. films like Demi and Whoopi Demi looks look sensational in yeah. these films so why, I, I would have like to have it seen was, I would like to have seen it. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was so hot that Patrick Swayze kind of falls out of it like he's got new newborn baby cold legs and he's like kind of can't stand up. Um yeah. Trying to get a glass of water. Actually on the on that scene when the when Unchain Meldy kicks when it kicks back in Unchain Meldy, I was like I literally wrote down Jeez, what if what if Swayze slash Whoopi start fucking her? Like, I mean, it's like, it's like this is this is complex. And that's all. Be, that's before we get into the fact that you know the white guy taking over a black woman's body and possession and gentrification and all sorts of shit. But anyway, it, 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 I, I got cut deep into it last. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's is ghost about gentrification. Jay yeah. asks. Yeah, well, it, it is. is. I mean, it, like, it, like it is. It, I, I yeah, ask me the question, then I'll tell you it is Aaron. <laughs> I love the way that she's like, "Okay, I'll do it. Do what? The thing that you want me to do." <laughs> Nobody you. brought that up. <laughs> I I suspect we're gonna walk through uh, like three or maybe even four of the movie's primary leads, but just like Demi Moore is kind of an interesting one because she had been at that stage around for quite a few years. She'd been around from the mid eighties. Uh, she'd done like, but she never really made that much of a critical or commercial impression. Like she started movies like Blame It on Rio, No Small Affair, The Seventh Sign, We're No Angels, and Saint Elmo's Fire is probably the biggest of them. Um, I loved her in Saint Elmo's Fire as this coked out wagon. She's amazing. Yeah, she's yeah. a brat packer. Well, she's a brat packer, but she's yeah. but she's arguably the brat packer who survived the brat pack. Like like Rob Lowe and Kiefer Sutherland kind of disappeared during this stage of the nineties. They faded into the background, I would argue. And whereas more came out firing. This is the movie that really established her. She went to I being... don't know, because Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland still had like Lost Boys, he had flatliners. He was very much in still the teen peak kind of he was in the teen magazine still around then for sure like and then because of the relationship was with julia the, roberts the as roberts well thing, yeah. he was yeah, very yeah. much still was in massive. the zeitgeist you know yeah. Yeah. so but i mean more went on to be like the highest paid female actress in hollywood history like what 
six years after this for was it striptease 12 yeah. million dollars like for this she got paid 300 grand which is less than bruce rubin got paid for the script which is insane apparently they had hired her with long hair and she showed up with the famous boycott that was given to her by john sahag the famous hollywood hairstylist it's an yeah. incredible article she looks incredible but it's also really reminiscent of rosemary's baby as in not just the hair but the moving into the apartment yeah. together yeah. Um, young love like they're just like on the cusp of getting married they have they are married in Rosemary's Baby but like there's that whole supernatural element obviously but supernatural but nice not yes. evil <laughs> but there is and really did like that just that haircut was like definite Mia Farrell update vibes for sure for her me. wardrobe as well is oh, those dungarees hot yeah um, and the movie itself, incredibly... This is a PG-13 movie, and I'm watching this going, you would never get away with this in a PG-13 movie uh, today. And again, not to jump into the whole the internet's weird attitude towards sex scenes, but it's like, it's it's nice. Like, it's nice to see physical intimacy on screen. Well, it's like she grabs she grabs his hands, like, at the at the, the pottery thing. It's like, get him wet. <laughs> oh, it's sick. You got that right. <laughs> it's filthy, <yeah. laughs> Um, apparently that was improvised the bit where like they weren't supposed to break the pottery thing it wasn't supposed to tip over but when it did Swayze's like I hope that wasn't a masterpiece which apparently saved the take which is incredible to think and apparently they had a more full on sex scene but they were like no we can just show the the, the pottery and some nice groping afterwards and that'll get the point across god damn it where's the NC-17 cut like <laughs> the sex scene actually sounded if you read about it it sounds like very reminiscent of the sex scene in Romeo and Julia. So they're underneath the sheets, like the dust sheets in the apartment. And they're kind of rolling around the dust sheets, but you're only just seeing the sheet. And, the yeah. So like it sounded like it would be actually kind of gorgeous as well. Like if they did want to ever throw that out for us all. <laughs> like us perverts. COVID was the every time. It should have been COVID. It should have been released in COVID. It totally should have. <laughs> Well, I mean, Paramount did release a 4K steelbook of this. I think it's kind of a... Did they? Yes, they did, a 4K steelbook. I'm immediately buying that next week. (laughs) (laughs) Jay has excused himself from the conversation to order it on his phone as we speak. I think (laughs) Jen's point of comparison to Rosemary's Baby there is a good one. And the idea of it's a scary movie, but it's nice, which is, I think, kind of important here. Because this is like my big swing, crazy read of the movie, right? is the idea that this is the ultimate 90s movie. It's the end of the 80s. Obviously, yeah, you've got the yuppie everything's stuff. Everything's going right for me. What could possibly go wrong? My yeah, life is perfectly fine. I feel fine. uneasy. I should be happy. Yeah, I, sh- I should have everything that I want in my life. This is the midlife crisis oh, yeah, of, of, of the American of century. The American century. It, thank <laughs> yes, thank you, Andrew. It's your new theme. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, you're welcome. Um, but what I was going to say was, if you look at the way ghosts had been presented in... I love that Darren's like, we're talking about the movie Ghosts, so let's talk about ghosts in Hollywood cinema. <laughs> but during the 80s, ghosts had been treated as a subject of kind of like irony and comedy. The two Ghostbusters movies, Beetlejuice being the big examples, right? But what happens is, as the Cold War ends, as the 90s dawn, you just have this incredible explosion of like achingly sincere ghost stories in American pop culture. So like 1989, Spielberg makes Always. Arguably one of his worst movies, but still, it's a Spielberg movie and worth acknowledging. I like always. So no, no, all, no, all we always uh, slagging on this podcast. I'm afraid. Okay, let's move on. Field of Dreams. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, 
Truly, madly, deeply, aka oh, the thinking man's ghost. Okay. That is the thinking man's ghost. I had that on my <laughs> notes, you little robbers. <laughs> um, th- that that came out the same year. Do you know what came out the same month as Ghost? Ghost Dad, starring oh, oh. Cosby, which we will yeah. not talk about. No, <laughs> I while America's Dad. <laughs> Yes, that was exactly. I wanted. I wanted him changed to ghost dead when he dies. <laughs> <laughs> but there is like there is this argument that in like early '90s cinema, I think Destin Howe writing at the Deseret News made the observation that like death has finally been defeated at the box office. No more funerals. No more Grim Reaper. Just lots of existential quality time for the forty-something baby boomers now feeling the first chill of mortality. This year's spate of afterlife movies comes not a season too soon. As the post-war Sons and Daughters of Victory plenty face morbid menace from middle age to AIDS, they're writing scripts and producing movies about staying alive. Yeah, it's like like, like where a character dies early, but then is brought back. Uh, (laughs) Oh, I wonder what this could possibly be referencing. And that that actually their debt was related to the machinations of an unscrupulous businessman. Like what movie does that remind uh, you of? Gratuitous Robocop reference, sorry. Uh-huh. Um, but like it, but also the idea, and it, it's been pointed out that like the last time that Hollywood had an explosion of these big feel-good melodrama ghost stories was during the 1940s. Um, you know, like is it the time of your life? The um, it's a, uh, 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 life and times Colonel blimp. Uh, Heaven can Frank wait. Frank Capra. It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we were no help. I was like, what are they talking about? <laughs> uh, but like during the 1940s, during the Second World War, you had this explosion of like, maybe death isn't the end movies. That's kind of interesting that you get to the 90s after the end of the Cold War and immediately American cinema and pop culture is like, just so you know, death's not the end. You're all probably going to die soon, but it's not the end. Don't worry. Everything will continue on as is. Life will continue past. Your death is not you, the end. There you, is something. Yeah. In in the yeah. Sorry. No, I was going to talk about it. yeah. That 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 in it's a um. Why can't I say it's a, it's wonderful, a wonderful life? life. He gets a mulligan. It's like a do over. Yeah. 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 Are you sure you want to do? It? <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, I mean, I I kind of do think there is something interesting there where you get to the 90s, where you get to like the unipolar moment, the end of history, the end of the Cold War, America standing dominant, the millennium just around the corner. And there's this kind of big existential philosophical kind of like, but what about death? Like we've conquered communism. Liberal democracy has triumphed. Francis Sukiyama's hanging a fucking, you know, banner. He's hanging a banner at the end of history. But what about death? What does death mean? This is your Kendall Roy TED Talk. <laughs> this is my Kendall Roy TED Talk. Yeah. Living plus. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, I, I, I just, I honestly, I find that kind of interesting that like just ghost is like, yeah, but what if, what if death isn't the end? What if you die and you don't die? What if like Patrick Swayze is killed in the first 20 minutes of the movie, but he's also in the entire movie? Famously, that's why Harrison Ford turned it down because he read the script and got to the page where his character died and was like, why am I only in 20 pages of the movie? Why would Fair I want enough. to do this? <laughs> Speaking, Fair of enough, 19... Harrison. <laughs> Speaking of 1990s-ness, do you know who was another choice to play that lead role? Oh, let me guess, let me guess. Okay. Well, not Tom Cruise. It wasn't no. Tom Cruise. No. Um, but most 90s choice Kevin imaginable. Kevin No. Kevin Bacon? No. Paul Hogan. Crocodile, Crocodile Dundee. Dundee. <laughs> I would oh, watch the hell out of that. Shit. <laughs> what a different film that would be. 
Wow. Um, Poor and dead bite. <laughs> and apparently, like, Swayze had to fight for the role. Zucker had seen Roadhouse and let it be known. Yes. Over my dead body will Roadhouse Patrick Swayze ever play this role. So Swayze had to fight tooth and nail to get the role. And I think he's incredible here. I think he's talk- like remarkable in this yeah. because he's actually very real, which is weird for like a film like this. I think his performance is like really believable, weirdly, like especially in the early parts where they're just together, him and her. I found that. And I like the way when we were talking about like, you know, the romanticness of it all the sensualness of, of it all they actually yet again I mean they do this in Dirty Dancing but they do it more so in Ghost I think they really fetishize his body it's all about his body and in a very feminine way and it's kind of like this weird reversal of roles because Demi with the short hair and the dungarees and then him with his like basically yeah. nearly all his clothes off yeah. and the longer hair um, which I kind of love um, but I do think he's super believable in this role there's something about him that he has this obviously great charisma, but he has this uh, proper, he, you know a guy like him. You feel like you're not a guy as that looks like him maybe, but you know <laughs> a guy like him in life. Like he's just, he's an okay, he's a good dude. He said, they have that in Roadhouse is weirdly enough as well yes. as a kind of thing where like he has that, you know, he's the anti Schwarzenegger or yes. uh, Stallone action star where he's all, you know, balletic as opposed yes. to uh, muscle bound. He's, you know, he's sweeter. He's, he's he spiritual. He's whatever. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, even here, like the opening shot of them knocking down the wall, you have him and Tony Goldwyn. Yeah. yeah. And Goldwyn is the one with the defined six, pa- six pack, whereas oh. his body is much more lean defined. Welcome to the 250 where we talk about men's bodies across cinema <laughs> history. But, That's but what I'm is... here for, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I think like Jay's right. It's a rejection of that hyper masculine, hyper muscle, like post Vietnam, 1980s, roided up, muscle bound body. Mm. And like Swayze is this fascinating, like icon of 90s masculinity because obviously he grew up in texas he did football he did like cattle ranching and all this sort of stuff but he also did ice skating and ballet you could see in his movements he's a graceful man yeah like incredible. when he catches the statue like yeah, that yeah. when he jumps out the window yeah yeah, yeah. that was so dangerous exactly that is one of my favorite jokes in the movie is like the weird bit of you're watching a movie called ghost you know the main character is going to die <laughs> so you have these recurring kind of almost simpson-esque bits where it's like is he gonna accidentally fall out the window or the is he gonna get on, on the, the plane TV. Like, yeah. all of that we're leaving Macbeth. It's just too... Like, he should have been leaving Hamlet in another way, but I suppose he is his own Banquo. Like, as it, like Sam is his own Banquo in this, I suppose. It is worth noting, by the way, that apparently the you'll be thrilled to hear that, like, like all like all masterpieces, Ghost was inspired by Hamlet. Apparently, that was the moment. That was what inspired Reuben to write it. One day, I was watching a production of Hamlet, which begins with the ghost of Hamlet's father saying, Revenge my death, he recalled. I thought, wow, let's transpose that into the 20th century. It'd be an interesting story and tell it from the perspective of the ghost. And the idea hit In, Instead of Hamlet, what about Sam Wade? Sam Wheat. Sam Wheat. Sam No, wait, go back. Sam Wheat. Okay. The other interesting thing about Swayze is, I think... Um, a couple of things like that that role calls for a, a certain purity yeah in it. like um but, and there's not many actors a lot of actors carry baggages into roles i think and there's not many that can you believe in that because ultimately in this film 
he's both a banker and a gentrification prick. Like in, yeah. in real terms, he's going to hell at the end of the time. He ain't going to hell. Yeah. <laughs> if that was any other actor, there'd be no light shining down behind you, mate. You're fucking down the. You're going downstairs to to come in me, like you know, like you're out. Yeah. Because like you're you're like the worst people in the city. But sways you so good and so pure and so lovely that he sells the shit out of it. It's no me thing. Yeah. I'd, I'd written down capitalist scum question yeah, mark. Yeah, like, yeah, by the end, like, Andrew had like back, back his face on it. Like, just like... Sexy capitalist scum. <laughs> and again, Jen is probably aware of this, that the arguably his big star-making moment for Swayze wasn't even doing Dirty Dancing. It was the Barbara Walters interview that he did, I think, on 60 Minutes. Yes. Where he cried. He cried he about, about his about dad a, dying. Yeah. 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 And it is, if you've watched, if you've seen this Patrick Swayze documentary... Um, and it's, in it, Swayze, it, I think, isn't it? Yeah. it's very moving like it is well, and it feels like it's just very in touch with his emotions which is nice for a man and a man of that time I think as well yeah. of that era um, you can't imagine Mel Gibson would have done that on TV I guess because his dad is fucking insane as we know well <laughs> 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 you know it was just it's one of the and I think um, it doesn't hurt that like Dirty Dancing happened I think for Ghost I think he already had that female audience ready and willing to see what yeah. he want, he was going to do next. And I think he was like such a, Johnny could have been such a rogue in Dirty Dancing, but he's not. And you just get on board with that. He, he You can be this really attractive man, but also actually be a nice guy, but not in a, not in a boring way either. Not or in a cloying like, really, way. He's actually just in sound. That's it. It's just a good guy. Like we just yeah. don't, we don't have that anymore because post me too, we can't really have it because you're worried about everybody because you're just like, they're probably a scumbum. So <laughs> we can't have good guys like Patrick Swayze on screen ever again. Like we just can't. Well, you get Donnie Darko. Like Donnie Darko is a prime example of what happens when you put Patrick Swayze in a semi-modern movie, to be fair. <laughs> Kitty porn yeah. dungeon. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about, we'll talk about Obi Goldberg in a moment, but just very quickly about like Tony Goldwyn as Carl. This is kind of his breakout role. He'd appeared in a Friday the 13th uh, sequel, which we are never going to talk about. Me saying we're never going to talk about means we will inevitably talk about it. But he, this was kind of his big coming out. Um, apparently he had been pushed to, despite the fact that he is the grandson of the G in MGM. He's not, yet, is he, he? Of course he is. You didn't know that. I, of course he is. I don't know, barely know who Tony Goldwyn is. Until I rewatch this. He was the president in Scandal, where they had an episode okay. titled Molly, You in Danger Girl. Oh, I've never seen Scandal. <gasps> How dare they? <laughs> <laughs> They're not allowed to do that. That's too much. Um, but, <laughs> but, and he also appears as the head of the board uh, in Oppenheimer as well, the head of the Grey Board as well. What? But yeah. <laughs> yes. Someone get a photo and hold it up to the screen so we could so show Jay. Jay can see what Tony <laughs> like, if you literally like. told me a minute ago that this is the only film they appeared in for dying tragically in a car crash. You would have been like, all right. <laughs> I would have absolutely believed you. That, that tracks entirely. Yeah. He's the only dissenting voice. <laughs> no, no, he's not. He's, he is not the only. He's the old guy. <laughs> no. <laughs> Very good. Very good. <laughs> But um, uh, yeah, no, he he tends to play sleazy dudes for some reason, whatever reason it is. I think it's like the lower half of his face has a sleazy look off it. Like the top half is okay, but it's, I don't know. It's somewhere around the nose and it. I don't know. I I get why. I kind I can see it. I get it. I get it. But also at the same time, I was thinking, you know what? 
Peter McGann would do a great Tony Goldwyn at Ooh. that time, wouldn't he? They kind of look like each other. You should think about it. They do. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, and now Jay's like, wait. Actually, I actually yeah. like Golden. McGann was in Golden, Oppenheimer? The, um, no, stop it. When he was at uh, the scene where Whoopi's out there like, taking all his money, uh, the scene where he's looking to different, call it to different computers and stuff, and they kind of sleep. He gives, he sells his shit out of great panic. He looks yeah. distressed in his face. It's yeah. actually really good. Yeah. Um, what I will say is that, like, I quite like this story. I like, which is that, like, apparently he went after this. He was doing theater in New York uh, when the movie came out and was a giant hit. He had to go for a re- he had to go to a restaurant during a break in production, and the waitress refused to seat him. He was eventually given a seat, and apparently she took his order in a very rude way. She kept staring at him throughout his meal as he was eating, (laughs) making him feel deeply uncomfortable. And after a few minutes, came over to him and said, Are you an actor? And I said yes. And she said, You're in that movie, aren't you? I knew I hated you. I just couldn't figure out why. (laughs) (laughs) But like, I have to say, his death, a classic. Yeah. Carl's death is a classic. We love to see it. Love to get impaled. (laughs) In a window. (laughs) It's it's a really great example of the movie making you hate the guy. Apparently in test screenings, it was like the audience didn't turn on him when they realized that he betrayed Patrick Swayze. It was the moment that he tried to move in on Demi Moore. That was the point at which test audiences were like, no, this guy needs to die. Oh, I spilled coffee on my shirt, you (laughs) (laughs) stupid. It's dripping down my six it's, pack. It was, in fairness, it was exactly the moment I, uh, I, I, I really started to hate him as well. In fairness, like, you know, I could, I could see where eighties audience and nineties audience are a bit. His six pack gets impaled. <laughs> no, he gets impaled above the six pack. If it had fallen a bit lower, maybe he would have been safe. I f- he could I f- just flex. I feel like he's going to be okay, but he's like movie dead. Like you can tell. Um, yeah. Like I, 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 it, it doesn't go into like a, a vital organ, does it? I mean, he's probably going to die. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do love the idea Not of Freddy him being Kruger dragged down to, to like, hell by those. Are you in pain, bitch? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I thought... sorry, a bit of a pain. Apologies. <laughs> yeah. But uh, okay, let's talk then about Whoopi Goldberg, the the movie's biggest win. Now, it did win best yes. original screenplay for Bruce Rubin, and all due respect to Bruce Rubin for winning for this screenplay, as you said, the most movie. But it was Goldberg who won for Best Supporting Actress. Apparently, again, not somebody that they wanted to cast in the movie. Zucker was worried that by casting an overtly comedic actor... They wanted Oprah, didn't they? Yes, he yeah. did. He wanted mm-hmm. Oprah Winfrey. That. And Tina Turner, I believe, as well, was the other choice. Okay. <laughs> Oprah, I can get because of the colour purple and everything. And they were thinking, you know, she's got that gravitas and they wanted it to be maybe more serious than and they were thinking of like if you think about Whoopi Goldberg at that time Jumpin' Jack Flash kind of what a film sorry just to say me and my friend Keen were obsessed with that film when we grew up like we didn't grow up together but when we became friends we were like why are we both mad about this film amazing film um yeah, so I can imagine they were kind of going, yeah, maybe not her, which is sad because I, I can't imagine, you couldn't imagine anybody She's else. sensational. Like just... Swayze, yeah. Swayze had to convince, again, this is Swayze being a good guy. He convinced Zucker to let her audition and the rest was history, which is astounding. And apparently like she was, apparently she was a sure bet for the Oscar. Everybody knew that she was going to win. It wasn't a surprise that she won. Uh, and apparently... Who did she beat, Darren? Oh, oh, I'm glad you asked, Jay. Let's let's do a quick rundown of this. Then. I feel like we set that up where we actually didn't because I meant to look this up earlier and forgot. I'm going to be really conflicted about this, am I? <laughs> I feel that somebody's going to be like, shit. Okay. 
The other nominees are what? Annette Benning for The Grifters. Oh. That's the Stephen Frears movie. Frears got a director nomination for it as well. Did he? Lorraine Bracco for Goodfellas. God damn it! Oh, man. <laughs> I knew you were going to be conflicted. <laughs> uh, you got some nerve, Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> Diane Ladd for Wild at Heart. And probably the most disposable to set, Mary McDonnell for Dances with Wolves. I love Mary McDonnell. Not entirely sure. That's... Uh, that's a deserving nominee. But we'll get to that in a year and a half's time. Yeah, 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 please don't make us do this. No, we'll we'll get to that in three years' please time. Please don't make us do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's Dances with Wolves is now on the 250. It came in this morning oh, as a sign. It kind of awkward. It's, oh, wow. Yeah. Is I blame Yellowstone. Gonna... I fucking blame Yellowstone. Oh, my God. It, it'll, it'll probably come back onto the Leaving Cert as well. It probably will come back onto the Leaving Cert. So, but like... Do do we have any whoopee takes? So Jay, what about yourself? Do you have any whoopee takes? She's uh yeah, she she actually jolts the movie into uh, another level of brilliance. She brings elements of great farce and comic time into it, like and brio and smarts and sophistication. She can do anything. Like she's just absolutely glorious. So the scene where all the ghosts come to see her. <laughs> It's sensations. Yeah. Yeah. there, race around the way. <laughs> the line <laughs> begins back the, there, buddy. The um, action shots the people talk there. It's, it's just absolutely what stunning. What did you do to your hair? Damn um, yeah. it! <laughs> <laughs> it's just great. Uh, everything she does with it is. Just, I like. I'd love. I've been saying for years that like comedic performances should be recognised more for awards anyway because there's like there's loads that are great. John C. Reilly should have at least two Oscars by now for comedy for roles. For Teledega Nights. Just ignored it. Whatever. Like, just loads. Uh, Walkhardy should have got a Best Actor nomination at the very least. Leslie Nielsen should have got an Oscar for <laughs> The Naked Gun. Like, they're great comic performances that never get recognised and it's great to see one recognised and it's so few and far between it's absolutely really annoying because it's I know skill. you're not a Bill Murray person. I don't know you're not but Grand Talk Day you should have gotten an Oscar for that. Like, a hundred percent. Yeah, no, I don't argue that either. Like, it's because he's creating it. Uh, yeah. There's so many of those, and it just they're not like whatever about getting like you know the pat on the head nomination never win it. They don't even get the nomination; they barely get the pat on the head. Like. Sometimes they do. Like again, Arkin for Little Miss Sunshine is an example. I'm fairly sure Gosling's going to get a nomination yeah. this year. It's just every so often, but it's usually on a film that has a a bit of Oscar buzz as opposed yeah. to a comedic performance for its own sake. Like, and that's yeah. that's the thing because how they get nice like, the best Thunder. picture nomination. <laughs> like, yeah, no yeah, yeah. As much as I love it, I mean, Jesus Christ, like. We, we should note, by the way, that Whoopi's Oscar was famously stolen when she shipped it back to the Academy to get it replated or restored. Apparently no. it was... F- yep, they discovered that the crate was empty when it arrived at the Academy. The Ray Bracco opened- stole it. <laughs> Let's go down a little further. It's down there. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently they found it in the airport bin. Apparently whoever took it discovered that they couldn't get it through the security scanner. Wrapped in a Dior dress. <laughs> and Lipsy just dropped it in the bin. Uh, but apparently, yeah, well, Goldberg said, yeah, no, the Oscar's never leaving my house again after that incident. Um... All right, is there anything else you want to talk about the movie? Anything we haven't discussed already? So, Jen, anything jumping out at you? Well, just to say, like, you cannot talk about Whoopi Goldberg without saying, Molly, you in danger, girl. Like, that line... <laughs> Which is an improvisation. Just, yeah. I cannot with it because it's everywhere, because it is, like, second nature. It's every gif. It's every, like, you know, we say it to each other all the time. Like, we, me and my friends would WhatsApp that to each other all the time. If something is going down... It's glorious. TV is happening. You're going somewhere. You're going on a day. Whatever. We will send that to each other. Like, that <laughs> is just in... That has become 
probably more famous than any other line in Ghost. Uh, and it, it'll last forever because the, I think her performance shows just how hard it actually comedy is as in it's so difficult because in anyone else's hands that character would be awful it would be over the top it would be overblown it is over the top in its own way but in a way that weirdly like that could be hit or miss in that film as in it could make or break that film in a way because you're taken out of the emotion kind of sometimes Mm. with her but it becomes actually gelled together by her performance in a way that I think just supersedes anything. Like, I just think she is, I mean, like, the, you know, I think she is the star of the film, though. I really do. Yeah, I, I think it just, it changes the whole film and it makes it so much more fun and so much more, you're more invested in it. When she comes into it, you're like, yeah. well, I want this to be figured out then. I want this to happen. And I love just the times with her, when Demi Moore when Molly like accepts her kind of into their into her life a little bit, and then when they have their their own little scenes together, and when they're going off running through fire escapes like away from Carl, I was like, they could just make a caper film right now with the two of them, and I would be happy to watch another hour of them just running around fire escapes. Like that's how engaging she is. Like she's just phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal in it, and so like the, the stunning. The two of them are just so her and Demi Moore are just so stunning, and Patrick Swayze. They're all. Tree stunners, much more. I'm like, let's let's throw poor Carl in as well. <laughs> freaking stunners. The top half of Carl's face. Um, I just yeah, have... when he's coming up in a lift, it's yeah. like oh, <laughs> and then it's like ooh, um, and then the rest of it now. But close close the doors. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right then, and then just uh, while talking about the movie Goldberg, I think Jay mentioned this being the most movie. I do love that there is also somehow an intersection of Whoopi Goldberg, the mob's money. And a bunch of nuns. Yes. As, yes. If, <laughs> as if as if auguring in the future that this is what's awaiting, which I found yes. kind of interesting. Um and I did mention I did tease earlier. I, I by by the way, I I I I do imagine that the next thing is like, oh, um he's gone now. So where is the check really? <laughs> 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 like yeah, because he didn't have life insurance. <laughs> he just got that uh, loft. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, giving the giving the four million dollar check to nuns is uh, has really aged badly, has it? <laughs> oh, very much so. <laughs> Jesus Christ! She like. should have kept that fucking check. I don't care. She should have been, been at the airport, gone, yeah. changed your name yeah. within yeah. within yeah. a flash. And then becomes the sister act character. Oh, so mean of him. Yeah. <laughs> um. By the way, I teased it earlier on. There is an actor who overlaps between this and one other Best Picture nominee. It is, in fact, Rick Avells, who plays, obviously, Willie Lopez oh, here. Yeah. And oh. who plays Mask Number 1 um, in The Godfather Part 3. He's one of the guys who menaces uh, Andy Garcia. I thought it was going to be the ghost Mr. Miyagi on the subway. The Vincent Shelley. Yeah. He's such amazing. a great face. He's Vincent one of the great, great amazing. faces. Also, it just proves, like, even if you're dead, you cannot escape mental psychopaths on the fucking subway. On the train. Like, yeah. <laughs> that, that moment is incredible. The moment where he gets on where he's following Willie and then obviously Chevelli just turns his head and looks at him and then gets up and walks through him. That is a great shot. I just, I love that shot so much. That's such yeah. a great moment. Still, still. There's actually, speaking of great moments, sorry, just, a, I, obviously I knew the film and I knew what happened and I've seen it before and everything, but I can only imagine, like, even knowing that, like, even going into the cinema in 1990 and knowing that what the plot is the the bit where you hear the gunshot go off when the robbery the kind of 
yes. Bruce Wayne's parrot and spit. Yes, uh, down an alleyway in New York. And he starts running after them. That's a beautiful shot. And then he comes back and, realize, and you realise he's dead. It's, like, how do you do it? It's brilliantly done. Like, I imagine that kind of would knock you sideways if you do fuck all about it in 1990. It's quite the reveal. It is. It's really, really well done. I do accept Darren's point that, like, he, <laughs> you know that, like, he's probably, somebody's going to be a ghost. Yeah. Somebody's yeah. going to be a ghost at some point. I, I, I accept that. But it's still, it's still pretty well done for it's something so like that. so well done. Yeah. Yeah. The and other bits where they're dragging them off to hell, not so well yeah. done. I kind no. of felt a bit ghostbustery about that shit, especially with Carl. Carl's yeah. one was very Dick Tracy, like the way his face, like so cartoonish when when he's like heading off. Um, not 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 Willie who gets like crushed by a car that, and then compacted by a truck. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Willie, Rick Rick Avila's. That's the way he goes in in Carlito's way as well. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the scene with the with the pool, yeah. <laughs> like when he's hiding in the toilet, yeah. the, the little, little kind of like dark demons are coming and taking him away. I yeah. wanted to know though, which I don't know, so I'll have to look it up because I, you know this is probably just in my mind. But were they influenced by the video for Take on Me? Aha, uh-huh. because. Ooh. There's so much in that video that's so like ghost that I'm just like, hang on a sec, like the between the two worlds mm. where she's not in the comic book anymore. She's in the bin. Like, I know this video backwards because it's like one of my favorite things ever. When I was little, I used to get into the bin in my house, in the kitchen, because I thought I could be in that video. But anyway, she's in the bin in the cafe and then she wants to get back into the comic book to see Morton Harkett again. Morton Harkett's pretty Patrick Swayze in that video. I, I, I would, I would yeah. get out of the bin to get after Morton Harkett. Me too. Place. And then yeah. like, yeah. they have their hands across the divide between the two worlds. And then he's like slamming against the, the comic book, like trying to get out to get back to her. Then you have the baddies with the wrenches. Like, it's just weird to me. Anyway, when I was watching it, I was thinking, hang on a sec. Did they look at this video and go, hmm? We, Let's just steal we could, the whole look at this. <laughs> we could be doing an episode on it. We've been known to go off format. We, 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 yes, uh, that's, that's after Dances, 78 episodes after yeah. Dances with Wolves, we'll do an entire episode on the Take On Me video. Deserved, um, deserved. Yes. I can't tell you, um, Jen, if that was an influence. Unfortunately, I can tell you something that was an influence. Uh, very famously, the Zucker brothers are Hollywood Republicans. Um, oh, bollocks. They always are. It's Everybody be, is. Like, I don't want to hear this. Davis. Yes, they did like um. They did a okay. A Michael Moore uh, piss you're, take. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. That was that was the that was David Zucker, his brother. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Basically, David Zucker, who also directed Scary Movie Four and Scary Movie Five. You know, just so we're clear on on where he was in his career at that point. <laughs> he did an American Carol, starring John Voight, Kelsey Grammer, um, and Dennis Hopper. And obviously starring... Dean Kane. <laughs> no, unfortunately, Dean Kane was not... Fortunately, Dean Kane was not in the movie. Um, but yes, that's the one in which um, Michael Moore is visited by George Washington and turned into a patriot. Yes. Basically, is the yeah. plot of that movie. I believe it's a number of, of the presidents. Yes. Them. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, well, I don't know why we're talking about this. <laughs> but to get back to that point... Jen asked, was the Take On Me video an influence on this movie? I don't know. I do know, unfortunately, that right-wing radio host Dennis Prager, um, who is obviously the father of Prager University, the extreme right-wing YouTube channel now, he was a major influence. He was the one who basically, during the rewrite process, he said, 
His conceptions of good and evil having been very much influenced by Prager's arguments for ethical monotheism. Zucker says he lightened Bruce Joel Rubin's ghost script to more clearly equate evil acts with eventual retribution. Um, you know what? I do, you know, I do have like, it's very, it's not morally complex in that way. It's just like, you're gone and it's rough justice. And yes, I can see that definitely because you do feel like you're kind of going, hang on a sec, when like the quote unquote baddies go, you're kind of like, well, uh, shouldn't it, shouldn't we have like, shouldn't there be a little bit more of a, and then they're gone. So you're like, okay, no, all right, I guess not. (laughs) No gray areas here. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, And I think we already mentioned the believe poster or the uh, sexy ready break poster. Like, again, it it does feel very much like it's an early nineties example of America kind of working through this crisis of faith. We alluded to it at the start of the podcast, but it is genuinely, I love a bit of heavy handed symbolism in my movies. And I kind of love the idea that this movie about the idea of an afterlife or the existence of heaven opens with the characters literally smashing down, breaking down walls between worlds. And again, if you wanted to, you could argue it's a sort of a gentrification, as I think Jay has a gentrification movie in that it's like, taking something that is meant to be spiritual and specific to a particular religion or a particular worldview and rendering it in a sort of a new agey, friendly, accessible sort of way where you don't have to worry about a particular religion. It's just a vague sense of spirituality for its own sake among a set of affluent yuppies. I unironically love that opening shot as a statement of intent. All right, is there anything else we want to talk about with this movie? Anything we haven't discussed already? Jay, anything you want to talk about? There's a a moment, I think, uh, after Swayze dies, and he, he's in the, the marriage bed, even though he's dead. And, uh, they're not wakes, married, he, right? Yeah, no, well, they're whatever. not. Like, they're living they're, in they're, sin, Andrew. They're living yeah. in sin. Oh, yeah. well, <laughs> <laughs> She's so offended and, now. Uh, he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and see, the whole thing seems to be kind of like a dream. And he wakes up sweating. And he's like, Molly, Molly. And has this kind of a shouting for drugs, requiem for a dream, outtake volume off. You get a close-up on his face, absolutely sweating. It's like, all right, all right there, Jared Leto, take it out a notch. Zucker's a comedy director. There are some moments here where he goes kind of full on. There's a lot of silhouette shots, which I quite admire. Yeah. Very moody, melodramatic shots. But Jen, anything in your notes? Anything we haven't discussed already? Anything, anything um, Demi Moore has a chicken pox scar in the same place that Timothy Chalamet has. That's one thing I noticed That's straight very away gen. on her face. <laughs> yeah, on her face. That's like the Ben diagram. Ben diagram. Perfect. Well played. <laughs> also, just about the cultural legacy of Ghost, I read this interview where the writer was saying, Sully, Sully, Sully Sullerson. <laughs> the last thing I, he said, the last thing I thought of when I was getting off the plane was Patrick Swayze and Ghost and all I could imagine was that my body was on the plane and it was my spirit standing on the wing I mean what a lasting legacy that fucking film has for people it's nuts right absolutely nuts that that is like what he was thinking that's crazy what what you're saying is Jerry Zucker should have directed Sully starring Tom Hanks (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) what's his name um, Goldwyn is talking to this goose and he's saying, I, I just wanted him to lose his job. <laughs> Didn't take down the plane. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, just two or two other little minor things that are like, one, how surprisingly easy was it to get formally quit out of a bank? 
Like, it seems like he'd bothered our arse in any way, shape, or form. You act to... as if we haven't lived through several financial crises know, in our just, life. It's like, uh, have you got what's your name? Oh, sorry, I wrote down the wrong name. Can I have another card? It's like, oh, yeah, of course you got there. You go. Anyway, that, that just made me laugh. And the other thing was, um, I really liked the kind of like, uh, both A, young Stephen Root as the police yes. officer. Yes. Uh, not that young Stephen Root was ever young because he's still looking. No, at he's like thirty. Well, he just thirty looks like nine. He's shaven. I think. Yeah. Like he's, he's just because I was looking at him and thinking he must be young there. Uh, but no, he's, he's not. He's one of those character actors that were born at forty and uh, just kind of got older. Um, he's great. He was really he star, like starring in Star Trek at this point. Yes, that same condition that Gene Hackman has. Yeah. He was born uh, at the age of yeah. 40. Yeah. And Bill Camp and various other actors. Like and uh, Rod Steiger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rod Steiger. <laughs> <laughs> He's been 70 since he was 20. Yeah, since birth. <laughs> I love actors like that. I properly, like, I think um, the ending, the very end, I, like, also... Emotionally wise, I think you can't not watch that now and not just be sad over Patrick Swayze. I think it just yeah. has this whole new layer of emotion on top of it. And then I started thinking how sad Demi Moore must have been when he died to think about that bit. And I started crying more than for some right crying he was a real loss not crying more with one tear coming out of one eye i don't know how she does it. But yeah, I just think it's such and it is a you know, it's a weird you know, people probably would say it's schmaltzy or whatever, but I do think it's a kind of weirdly comforting line for people. Like the people that went to see that, who had someone that passed away in their lives, like, you know, in the cinema at the time, it must have like really been so affecting for them yeah. like, in that way. I do think like it's a lovely concept, like, you know, the love inside, you take it with you. Like that's, I mean, I know that's so whatever, like people would be like, oh God, that's like, you know, Naff, but I do think it actually so is just a really lovely sentiment, like, and that people were really bowled over by that it, at a time when you know that kind of stuff was literally restricted to this is a woman's film. But I think Ghosts went so massive that it reached a lot of people maybe that would never have sat down and watched a film like that because it had the crime element in it or because it had because of the whoopee of it all that it was probably a comedy too that you know it reached very different people or as Andrew said the financial crime <laughs> but like okay so just very quickly on this like the writer Bruce Rubin says like Jerry Zucker the director kept saying what is this movie about and I would say what do you mean it's about a guy who dies and comes back and he'd say no what is it about? I kept looking for a line that brought the movie into sharp focus. I remember being in a drugstore and hearing the phrase, you can't take it with you. And I thought, yeah, you can. You can take the love. And Zucker said, yes, that's what the movie's about. Which I think is a nice note on which to end. Um, also worth noting that the VHS copies of this sold for $100. Um, that was the listed price for the v original VHS release of them. Uh, and also that after this, uh, basically, Ruben ended up being a script doctor in Hollywood. And he's talked about how he would basically be paid, was it $100,000 a week to closet himself at Châtel Marmont to work on a Goldie Hawn movie. You think about your house, your children, your landscaping, he says with a smile. Every new page is a new bush for your house. All right, on that note, uh, we're going to wrap up here. We have a hard out. First of all, what we do at the end of the podcast, we ask our guests to recommend something, something they're enjoying at the moment, something related to the movie, something unrelated to the movie, just something to bring them joy in these uncertain times. To give Jen, to give Jay a chance to think about it, I'm going to ask Andrew to go first. Um, I am going to recommend 
I watched Runaway Jury recently, and it's very 90s, even though it was made in 2003. Like, but it, it, but it is. It's Hackman and Hoffman. It's it's yeah. very nineties. And, and Grisham, it's, isn't it? And it's, it's it's yeah, it's Grisham, which which seems like a very nineties thing. Like every movie in the nineties was, was a Grisham, Grisham movie. Thriller. This was secretly a Grisham yeah. movie. Yeah. <laughs> and and but and and there, the use of Hackman and Hoffman is perfect because like he the hackman is king bastard and hoffman is like the the most bleeding heart softy like you can imagine you, you know they're the f- perfect you know the fun fact about that movie it was written around hackman and hoffman but they got into production and realized that through rewrites the two of them never had a scene together <laughs> so the only scene the two of them share i believe is in a men's it's in the bathroom and, yeah. that's yes, right yeah and was hastily added during filming <laughs> pretty good scene. when they yeah um all right then. I do Ch- what I do best. I I, I cry easily. <laughs> um, you do what you do best. <laughs> um, yeah. Be a complete bastard. Yeah. <laughs> but Jen, what would you recommend for listeners? What are you enjoying at the moment? If we're talking about ghosts, it would be really remiss of me if I didn't mention one of my favorite films in recent times, Personal Shopper, Olivier Essayas. Um, and it's uh, just a really interesting film about death as well. Um, for me, it's Christian Stewart, and I think she's absolutely amazing in this. Uh, with like doing the Christian Stewart thing, where she looks desperately tired in the most beautiful, luminous way you can be tired. <laughs> but she is basically her brother, her twin brother Lewis, has died. This is the loosest sketch of this plot because it's all about actually just the experience, the, the mood of the film. So her twin. Lewis has died. He had a congenital heart condition. He had a heart attack. She shares that condition. Um, So she's worried about her mortality now as well. But she also thinks that she can connect with him if she goes back to the their old family house um, at, in France, like that they used to go to, and she can feel his presence there. But um, she's not getting enough from it that she thought she would, as in she thought it would be stronger and she's worried about the other side and what's happening to him and the other side and then also within the film she's a personal shopper for like this very privileged star who she's roaming around in you know London and Paris getting her the most beautiful clothes and stuff but it's about her trying those clothes on unleashes something like Christian Schur's character trying those clothes on unleashes something in her so it's like trying things on a borrowed life you know who are we really we are just walking ghosts in some ways and then there's also a very weird like mystery plot in it as well where she's being harassed by these sexy sexual text messages um and there's also obviously Lars Eidinger as the British <laughs> boyfriend um the model who is in looming it. in the background of the shot as we speak over Jen exactly, shoulder over, like a Patrick Swayze um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's a stunning film you'll be thinking about the final scene for a very long time divided critics but I have my own opinions about what that final scene means and I think everybody who sees it kind of has a different experience and gets different emotions from it and I just think it's a really interesting piece of work definitely all right so jay what would you recommend what are you enjoying at the moment uh simple weirdly similar time to that in the way that uh i've been watching a lot of 90s thrillers slash erotic thrillers the kind of uh the golden age of trash uh yes. probably <laughs> I, I I like that you say that as if Andrew's ever not watching a wide no, well, number yeah. of nineties erotic <laughs> yeah. thrillers. Yeah. I, it, it's been great. Like it's these all the films that I went to see in the cinema back in the day, 
and now revisiting a lot of them for the first time in a long time. Like Had the Rocks the Cradle, In the Line of Fire, Presumed Innocent, uh, Perfect Murder, Raising Cain, that kind of shit. Uh, sneakers. Uh, I've been having an absolute ball. Uh, is it a midlife crisis? I don't fucking know. <laughs> uh, we'll, 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 we'll tune in to the, for the hundred whatever episode and I'll tell you but it's, <laughs> am I looking for a misspent youth I don't know but it's great uh, crafts people lighting great cast budgets all the nice things you want in a film and uh, in films that used to be there as standard uh, weeping for a, a, a time the paradise that we'll never get back again uh, it's been great uh, take that shitty 21st century Hollywood <laughs> Very upbeat, Jay. Very upbeat. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, we'll note, by the way, that Brian De Palma directed Ruben's student film. Uh, Ruben is one of Did those he? kind of like set. Yeah, there's a nice little gem. People was called Jen. I'm, I'm a big like mainstream Brian De Palma fan. I like all the films that they, they, the bros hate, like your Untouchables, Racing And your Mission Impossible. My spouse are like, fuck off. Like, I don't care about his psychosexual shit. Like, it's grand, but I, like, I think <laughs> it, I much prefer the commercial Brian De Palma. So there. All right. And in terms of, of recommendations uh, from myself, last year, uh, Netflix released uh, Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities, which is an anthology series that was basically just a collection excuse for a bunch of directors to make an hour long short. And like most anthologies, quite a few of those were absolutely terrible and unforgivable. Um, but I did enjoy a couple of them, and I'm just going to grab them up now. I really enjoyed The Viewing, which is directed by Panos Cosmatos. Uh, I've not been a huge fan. I wasn't a huge fan of Mandy. I thought Mandy was too long. The viewing is 45 minutes long. Wow. So it's a we need to have length. a discussion about Mandy. What? <laughs> Woo! It's one of my favorite films of the past 10 years. Get I'm out. So, I'm, so, I'm sorry. Well, I know I'm um, kind of with Darren on this, but we... Get we, out! We, 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 sorry, Jen. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's grand. That's grand. When when we finish covering the Best Picture nominees from 1990, <laughs> and when we cover the Aha music videology, <laughs> then we'll move on to the Canos Cosmatos filmography. That is the plan. Every 78 episodes. Five like, years from now, it's going to be great. <laughs> uh, what? We're not going to. Is Mandy's and Nicolas Cage? Yes. Uh, yeah. So we're, we're not doing we're all not the Nicolas. There are Nicolas too Cage, many Nicolas Cage but, yeah. movies. Uh, we'd probably have to go get Ethan Hawke to <laughs> at the ancient troubadour. Um, <laughs> yeah. But. And what I also want to recommend of that set is The Murmuring, which is directed by Jennifer Kent, who did The Babadook. Um, and it's this beautiful ghost story. Um, and I just, again, it's like, it's like ghost. It's not necessarily a scary ghost story. It's more of a spiritual story, an existential story. I found it really moving, really thoughtful. I'd hardly recommend checking that out. That's The Murmuring. It's one of Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosity. It's on Netflix. You can watch it right now. All right, then. If listeners are looking for a bit more Jen in their lives, where can they find you? Watch out. Watch up to... Nowhere now. <laughs> Got a proper job. <laughs> oh no! Um, I'm still around on the radio. Sometimes I'm on Arena, um, on RT Radio One, talking about telly mostly. Um, I'm always on Instagram. I'm on, I'm on Instagram more than I'm on whatever the other place is called now that will remain nameless. <laughs> um, so yeah, if you like to look at pictures of like men at their hottest actors at their hottest through the 60s to, to today that's what i usually do on my instagram <laughs> on my instagram stories or else i'm having some kind of breakdown so and i will put up a picture of Lindsay lowen so join me there <laughs> um, i don't know how the podcast can compete with that so i'm gonna ask jay where can we find you what you at watch up to uh i'm still i arse about on whatever the twitter thing is called now it might have had a new name depending on the 
how, how wherever the last one is goes. It's X coil. Uh, at J Pierre <laughs> coil. Uh, which, you know, if and when I get off that account, that uh, platform, I'm just going to get absolutely banned again for shit of the highest order. <laughs> I can't wait. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm usually there talking shit. Perfect. And you can follow the podcast at, at the 250 because this is coming out in the middle of our Halloween season. You Jay, guys are... Jay now can't be blocked. I can be muted though. Uh, just uh, I'd, I'd, I'd recommend that heartily for a lot of people <laughs> uh, yeah so obviously uh, this is coming out in the middle of our Halloween season the original plan was for us to release this on the last weekend of October we were more ambitious about trying to get all of our Halloween episodes out in time for Halloween that obviously didn't come to pass we had to change the schedule around a bit ah. so we're still on schedule we're still going to be covering all the Halloween movies but this December is going to be a little bit different than we had planned so next week, we're going to jump right back into the Halloween franchise coverage. Joey Kill will be joining us again, as usual, for that. We'll be covering Rob Zombie's Halloween, Ooh. the 2007 reboot. And joining us for that discussion will be Dr. Bernie Smurphy. She discussed the 1978 original with us, and she's going to discuss the 2007 reboot as well. Then the week after that, listeners, if you have not got enough Jason Coyle in your lives this week, Jay will be joining us with the fantastic Grace Duffy to talk about Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. Yes. The hottest ticket on our season. I have got so much to say. You, you <laughs> don't even know. <laughs> God help but, you all. And then as we come to Christmas, we're going to do our usual nonsense. We're going to take two weeks and we're going to cover Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. And for that discussion, we've got the wonderful Richard Drum, the fantastic Luke Dunn. And the week after, we'll be wrapping up our coverage of Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy with Lord of the Rings Return of the King. And the wonderful Deirdre Malumbi will be joining us as guest for that concluding episode. Then in January, we will finish up our Halloween coverage. We'll be doing the Hollow Green movies, the three movies directed by David Gordon Green, the 2018 Halloween, Halloween Kills, and Halloween Ends. Joey will be joining us for all of those. And we have some amazing guests lined up. And we really, really hope that you guys enjoy Thank you so much to both Jen and Jay uh, for this. Uh, uh, pleasure. Not a butter. Thank you for doing it at short notice. Thank you for doing it. I know you both are tremendous. I know one of you in particular is tremendously busy. I'm not to offend Jay, but thank you so <laughs> much. Yes, both that's absolutely fine, Darren. I mean, <laughs> but thank, take care, guys. Uh, Jay, Cheers. enjoy your trip. Jen. Say, see ya, I believe is the traditional <laughs> like ending to a ghost episode. I, I prefer the response is ditto, Andrew. <laughs> 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 All right. Take care, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks. So much. Cheers. Thanks.